Welcome to Men's Health Monthly with Dr. Tom Walsh, Director of the University of Washington's Men's Health Center and Associate Professor of Urology at the UW, featuring important topics dealing with men's health, including prostate cancer and erectile dysfunction. Here's your host, Neil Scott. Welcome to this month's edition of Men's Health Monthly, featuring Dr. Tom Walsh, Professor, Surgeon, and Director of the UW Men's Health Center. I'm Neil Scott, and this month we're going to be talking about an issue that many men face. It's often shrouded in silence, embarrassment, and untold frustration. It's male infertility. Now, our special in-studio guest this month is Annie Quo. She is the founder of the local Resolve chapter. Resolve is the National Infertility Association. Resolve.org is their wonderful website. Dr. Walsh, we're going to start the program as we do every month with a question from the anonymous inbox. And remember, if you've got a question for Dr. Walsh, fire away at any time. Send your questions to Men's Health Monthly at iHeartMedia.com. This month, a question from a man up in Edmonds. My dad has been diagnosed with prostate cancer. Where can I find information on clinical trials? And what are radioactive seeds? Dr. Walsh? So uh, far and away, the best information on clinical trials will be through a urologic oncologist. Mm -hmm. And here in this region of the country, it's a fantastic place to be because we are in the domain of the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance and the University of Washington UW Medicine. So the best way for you to learn about whether or not your father needs to participate in a clinical trial, which to be clear, usually is about somebody who's got more severe or advanced cancer where right. we where the pathway to, to cure or treatment isn't quite clear. I would strongly recommend making an appointment through the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. They take patients with newly diagnosed prostate cancer very seriously. It's a very expeditious appointment process. And there's a team of urologic oncologists who are available to see, evaluate, sort of accumulate the data and then decide what would be the best course of treatment or are you a candidate for a trial. Now, the other part of that question is what are radioactive seeds? Uh, now, this is a domain of a field called radiation oncology. The idea behind this is that we know that radiation at low levels can kill cells that are dividing rapidly. And that's exactly what cancer cells are. They are cells that have lost their ability to govern their own growth. So they're no longer growing in a regulated fashion. And when exposed to radiation, you can cease their ability to divide. Radiation can be delivered in various ways. The most common way to deliver radiation is through an external beam. So an mm -hmm. actual radiation gun that is focused on an organ or part of an organ that delivers radiation and stops the division of those cells, kills cancer. Radiation seeds are seeds that are indeed coated with radiation and then implanted into the prostate to deliver a low amount of continuous radiation until that radiation signal deteriorates. And that is also a mainstay of prostate cancer treatment. I appreciate the question. If you have one, uh, just drop it in the anonymous inbox. It's Men's Health Monthly at iHeartMedia.com. Let's move on to this month's guest. Annie Quo is an ambassador, an effective advocate, and a tireless champion in the infertility community, proving without a doubt that one person with passion, pride, and power 
can make a huge difference. And he's the founder of the Seattle-based Resolve chapter. Resolve is the National Infertility Association. Their website, resolve.org. She also hosts support groups for men, women, and families, advocates for legislative change down in Olympia, and works with family-centered men's health issues at the UW. Welcome to Men's Health Monthly, Annie. Where do we begin to look at infertility? With the man or with the woman? A lot of times people think it's the woman who bears the brunt of why a couple struggles to conceive. They'd be surprised. You know, when we host our monthly support groups, we see an equal number of men, uh, male factor discussed at the meetings. Let's get a working definition of infertility. So, you know, to, to, to define infertility, Neil, um, infertility is the inability of a couple who's attempting, who's genuinely mm-hmm. trying to conceive. It's their failure to do so within a year. And it's a relatively arbitrary time frame. There are a lot of caveats to that. You know, there are people who have known risk factors. You know, perhaps they were treated for cancer, testis cancer. The time frame is a little bit loose, but it's, it's essentially a couple who's attempting to conceive and failing to do so in a time frame that is legitimized for them. And so it, I think what you were alluding to is really important because we really point the finger at women quite frequently, but it's really a 50-50 prospect. Yeah. We know that in the U.S., in industrialized countries, somewhere about 15 to 17% of reproductive age couples will experience infertility. Really? And of those, half, there'll be a male factor. Yeah. And in a smaller percentage, maybe about 20 to 30%, it will solely be a male factor. So a sperm problem. Mm-hmm. Who gets checked first, the man or the woman? Ideally, both of them would be checked upon their intake. I think a lot of times the woman gets checked. Absolutely. I think in the modern era, in the year 2019, in a perfect world, both couples will be evaluated in a parallel tract. Dr. Walsh, is there anything that can be done to prevent infertility, especially in a male? There is really nothing that can prevent infertility. Clearly, uh, uh, there are known risk factors. Mm-hmm. There are known exposures that can have a negative association with fertility. You know, everything in health and disease is about the genetics we inherit and the environment in which we're exposed, right? And we can't control our genetics, at least not easily, right? That technology is changing too, but at least not easily. But we can control the things that we expose ourselves to. But we can control the, the potential risk factors for f- fertility compromise. Tobacco smoking. We are now in an era, right, where we believe that smoking is probably one of the number one sources of preventable disease in industrialized countries, right? Fast forward to contemporary times with the legalization of marijuana. What I found with my patients is that once you legalize something, there is some sort of affirmation that it is safe and healthy for you. And what I would say right now about the use of uh, cannabis or marijuana is that the verdict is out. But there is clear evidence that it may be an impediment to fertility. It may not only affect sperm production, sperm behavior, the ability of sperm to fertilize an egg, but the combination between a man and a woman, it may impede the travel path of a sperm to meet the egg. So... I think there's going to be more to this story. Men need to be attuned to these things that we think may be okay because they may not be okay for your fertility. 
Is there research being done on marijuana? I'm so glad you asked. There is. We have an active research program at the University of Washington through the University of Washington Male Fertility Laboratory. Because marijuana is not legal at the federal level, it is so difficult to obtain Mm. the funding for this critically important research. So this is my call for people to make contributions to men's health research which they can do through www.accelerateMed.org forward slash men to help us fund really critically important research into how cannabis affects fertility. What else does a couple need to be aware of? Exposure to medications that act like birth control, like testosterone therapy, which is a big deal in the current era. Uh, Very few men, very few couples realize that Taking testosterone is similar to a woman taking a birth control pill. Infertility is defined by the World Health Organization as a disease. To a certain extent, you know, the question, is this something that can be prevented? There are certain factors that can be improved through diet and exercise. Some folks would argue nutrition. There are actual fertility nutritionists in Seattle and elsewhere that focus on helping people improve lifestyle factors, like what they put into their bodies. One of the comments that boggle and irritate infertile couples the most is, you know, just relax or don't stress about it. Just go on vacation. Things like that don't actually acknowledge the the medical conditions yeah. that like underlie some of these things like male fertility factors involve structural abnormalities, ejaculatory factors. And some of those things aren't yeah. fixable, yeah. you know. I don't um, think uh, stress reduction or vacation is going to solve somebody's fertility problems. But right. I do, and I do appreciate the, the idea that fertility absolutely 100% is a disease mm-hmm. and is recognized through yeah. American with disabilities as a disease. So defined by a couple's inability to conceive if the woman is under the age of 35 at a year or longer or under six months if she is over 35. Some, for some reason, they kind of pin it on the age of the woman, but I think they have to you know, define it in some way. So you know, when I look at my daughter, she's, she's almost eight. I know too much about the fertility space, and I'm like, she was born with all the eggs she'll ever have. My grandbabies are in there <laughs> somewhere, right? She's not going to make well, more she's, eggs. She's got a tough road to hoe, that's for sure. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the kind of talk we're having already. <laughs> I'm like, when she graduates from high school, I'm going to offer her to freeze her eggs as a gift. See, I just, again, know too much about I fertility. Can, I see where you're going, yeah. Men, they're continually producing sperm, unlike women, who are born with a set amount of eggs. That number diminishes every month with the period, but men are continually producing sperm. We're going to introduce a new word here, and the word is fecundity or fecundability, and that's the ability of a woman to become pregnant and and carry a child. A woman's fecundity, it starts to decline just after age 30, actually. You know, it begins to decline slowly between 31 and 35. Don't forget that I lead the Men's Health Center. I may be getting out of my realm here, but but that curve of decline becomes much more precipitous at age 35. And so one of the strongest, most important variables in a couple's fertility, amongst all these factors that you've heard us talk about, you know, all these environmental factors, one of the most important defined factors is a woman's age. And that 
age of 35 is a threshold. And that's why there's this difference in, you know, do we allow for one year? Do we allow for six months? And the idea is, is that if you wait for a woman to be 35 and then you say, well, you got to wait a year before we're going to evaluate you, you've just lost some critical reproductive time. Yeah. There's like a graph I've seen about the decline of uh, fertility in, in a woman. It's going down, it's going down, and as she gets closer to 30, it starts to become more precipitous, and then she reaches 35, and it starts to become steeper drop, and then, you know, 40, boom, it, it literally takes a nosedive. Well, at the same time, just to give this con- some context, a woman's fertility window is also very individualized. You've Absolutely. got some women who can conceive easily at 42. That's a little bit more rare. But then there's others who have difficulty at 35, 34. When I was 34, I got diagnosed with accelerated decline in fertility. So I was showing, I was 34, but I was showing the picture of fertility health as a woman in her early 40s Mm. would have. So I was actually on a fast track to menopause. You know, I think there's some really important parts about uh, what Annie's saying, which is that Fertility is a, is a couple's disease, really. And whatever we're imagining for treatment, we really have to imagine it in the context of the couple. And how we may address a certain uh, fertility deficit in a man really is Im- it's important to imagine what the fertility potential is of his partner. And some of the decisions we may make may change based upon that fertility potential. Andy, talk about the emotional impact on a couple. So I host a couple support groups in Seattle, and we've done it for almost five years on a monthly basis. And we see on any given month about 30 couples come in. They are mostly women. So you kind of wonder about the men. I admire so much the men who reach out on the couple's behalf or the men that come with their wives to this space because men aren't always known for wanting to talk about their feelings. Women, we're the talkers, the connectors, the people who maintain the social calendars a lot of times, but the men don't always pursue that space to communicate what's going on inside. The emotional effects of infertility can be devastating for couples. I'll bet. They are seeing a dream delayed at best, a dream thwarted, you know, I mean, in their worst fears, they don't know where the end of their journey is going to take them. They don't yet know the outcome, but a lot of people imagined going to be part of their lives is to have a family, especially with a cherished partner. So it can be very devastating, confusing, isolating. A lot of times people are ashamed, ashamed of this, that they may not know, even though infertility strikes one in six people. It's changing a little bit now that more celebrities are talking about, more people are raising awareness about what they're going through. It's it's entering more into the public awareness, but a lot of times people aren't really familiar with resources or Mm. someone that can help them, guide them through the journey. I would think there would be a lot of blaming. It's probably up to every couple on how they navigate that journey. Like Dr. Washa said, it's really important to see this as a a team issue, Mm. you know, versus, you know, this is your fault or this is, I've seen the gamut of things come through. You know, you sometimes see couples who are very much connected. They have a healthy approach to solving this problem together. It may be helpful if you think about some helpful tips to always emphasize growing together and not letting a problem stunt your togetherness or your development as a couple. I've advised them to consider drawing boundaries around the conversation about family building. You know, for example, I said, go 
take a walk after dinner together, and then you talk about the baby stuff. But then the rest of the time, put a hedge around your relationship so that you also pursue other interests and other things as a couple. So it's not all about this problem. Of course, it's natural. You've got a, something you're driving to find a solution for. It can be all-consuming. When you're going through fertility treatment, your lives are dictated by when the doctor needs to see you, when you need Schedules. to go in to get your blood draw, being late for work because you have to go in for these early draws so you can get re- the results on the same day. You know, you have to move your vacations because your treatment cycle is happening that very day or that week, that month, you know. It's a devastating thing, but I think that with some community, some resources, and also we found by being united by some advocacy, people feeling that if they can talk about it in a space with other people that understand, then they can do much better. They're not alone. That they're not alone. Tom, what do you see on the men's side? Do you see men yeah. that are that are angry? Do you see men are confused, frustrated? Uh, you know, I think How the entire are they? I, I think the entire spectrum of uh, you know emotion comes with in, in, infertility and the experience of of some of the things that Annie has mentioned. I think in this context, some men feel responsible, some men want to blame, some men are angry, some men are embarrassed. I don't know that I have a a perfect label for everyone. What we know, and one of our missions of this program, is that in general, men tend to be less connected to healthcare. They tend to be less involved in the decisions that may be occurring with regard to their health, including this domain of fertility. You know, one of our missions, I think, here today is to, number one, have men walk away knowing the statistics, knowing that in a couple that's experiencing fertility, they are not alone and that there could be a male factor. Number two, that that having knowledge is power being willing to undergo testing and then see a specialist to talk about these concerns to to make sure that nothing is being missed. Uh, we know that among men who are found to have a specific deficit in their semen quality, we know that up to 6% of those men could have a concomitant, very specific medical disease that needs treatment whether it's a disease in the brain that's signaling the testes, whether it's disease in the testes, whether it's genetic disease. And then third, we would want men to absolutely know that there are solutions to some of these problems. Uh, There are solutions to your family planning, and there are solutions to if there's a specific health condition that may be contributing to the problem that you're facing. We are going to take a short time out. We will be back with more from Annie Kuo and Dr. Tom Walsh right after this. Did you know that diabetes, heart disease, and prostate cancer procedures can contribute to erectile dysfunction? Many men aren't aware of this or of all the treatment options that a board-certified urologist can offer. Understand your options and learn where you can find an ED specialist in Seattle to help. Visit edcure.org to get the facts and find a urologist who can offer treatment options that work when pills and injections don't. Again, that's edcure.org. Did you know that 42% of all cancer is preventable? One in nine men will be diagnosed with prostate cancer this year, but the Prostate Cancer Foundation is funding the science to change that. Risk factors for cancer include family history and genetics, but also lifestyle factors like smoking and diet. You can be a partner in your own healthcare with just a few simple changes. Go to pcf.org to download your free exercise and nutrition guide for living well beyond cancer. 
Welcome back to Men's Health Monthly, featuring Dr. Tom Walsh, director of the UW Men's Health Center, and our special in-studio guest, Annie Kuo. She is the founder of the Seattle Chapter of Resolve. That's the National Infertility Association. We're discussing the disease of infertility, in particular, male infertility. What is the testing like? Hmm? Uh, You know, the cornerstone of the male fertility test is a test called a semen analysis. A semen analysis is a really uncomfortable prospect for a lot of men. It's essentially showing up at a clinic, being given a cup, sent into a private room where a man has to masturbate and provide a sample in a cup. And it's incredibly difficult to do in that sort of, even though it's a very private environment, it feels very public. You can hear the... You hear the squeaks going out in the hallway. You hear, you know, the, the people in the waiting room giggling. You think everyone's laughing at you. So it's a very uh, emotionally challenging test to do for a lot of men. Once that sample is obtained, it's taken to the laboratory environment where it's allowed to incubate for approximately 30 minutes. And a very regimented set of parameters is measured. Most important of these are the volume of the ejaculate the concentration of the sperm, so that's the number of sperm per milliliter of ejaculate, the percentage of the sperm that are swimming, which we call motility, and then a fourth parameter, which is a measure of sperm shape, which is called morphology. And that's a little bit more complicated. That's where a smaller sample of the total is uh, specifically analyzed for the shapes of sperm. What is the time factor in the testing? Many places can have a complete test result within one to two days. Mm. And what about for the women? A woman's testing looks like a blood draw. For a provider who really knows what they're doing, they'll also do an ultrasound where they count the number of antral follicles in her ovaries to show how many eggs are developing. So there's like a starting line at the beginning of a woman's menstrual cycle. How many follicles are there at the starting line? And they can predict from there how many are going to develop into an egg that will ovulate. The blood draw will be tested for a few things. One of them is called FSH or follicle-stimulating hormone. The lower, the better, actually, for, for in this case, because that means that your body isn't having to work nearly as hard. It's like the hormones are not having to signal to your brain to work as hard to, to develop those follicles that will become the egg that ovulates. It would be great if more women got a proactive fertility assessment just to have that data point to know what their fertility picture looks like. The ultrasound is not a typical assessment. I think more women should ask for this around the time that they're 30 so that they can make decisions for their lives on delaying childbearing or waiting a few more years to travel as they approach the age of 35. Dr. Walsh, talk about some of the issues that men face in dealing with infertility. The issues that men face in fertility go from very simplistic, you know, what we would say is the mundane, all the way to really complex genetic conditions that could lead a man to not have sperm in his ejaculate. On the simple end of the spectrum, we could imagine a man who's had a vasectomy, a man who at one point thought he was done family planning and has had a change in the course of his life. That is simple in the the extent that it's it's a plumbing issue. It's not to say that the treatment for that is necessarily easy, but we know where the problem resides. We know what we have to do to help that man conceive. That could be a treatment that's something as simple as reversing his vasectomy surgically or simply retrieving sperm directly from his reproductive tract 
so that he and his partner could use advanced reproductive technology in vitro fertilization to conceive. On the more complicated side, we may have somebody who we fail to find sperm in the ejaculate. And probably the most difficult scenario is when we don't know why. And that will happen greater than 75% of the time. We will not have an answer for why. That creates a much more challenging and complicated paradigm to help somebody like that to conceive. And yet that person still has hope. We know that among men who don't have sperm in their ejaculate, a condition called azoospermia, A-Z-O-O, spermia. Emphasis on the zero. On the zero, no sperm in the ejaculate. Roughly 50 to 60% of those men could still be producing sperm in the testes that could be found, extracted, and used to help that man conceive his own genetic progeny. So we're really uh, living in a time, it's amazing what we can do to help couples conceive today. So most importantly is really seeing a specialist, seeing somebody who understands the evaluation that you need, who knows the testing that you need, and can then guide you down a pathway with the highest chance for success. Uh, A friend of mine who I was discussing this show with said, ask the doctor, does masturbation help or hinder sperm counts? The answer is an unequivocal no. It does not hinder infertility. And in fact, when we do fertility testing, uh, what's really critical is that it's testing that's very regimented. Now, let's imagine I see my primary care doctor. My primary care doctor wants to measure my cholesterol. You know, I just show up at the lab. I fasted overnight, poke a needle in my arm, and they draw this very homogenized, very, you know, reproducible blood sample. And if they do it again the next day, they're probably going to get the same result. Not so fast with a man's fertility testing. We have to regiment this test and we have to prescribe the number of days that a man has not ejaculated prior to the test. There will still be up to two to 300% variation in a man's perceived fertility based upon his test results from test to test. So this is a domain where it is, it is very, very challenging, but we still see remarkable heterogeneity in the testing of a man's fertility. In the time that we have left, there's a couple of issues that I would like to to get to. One is the whole awareness factor of infertility and what Resolve is doing to bring that to the public's attention and what you're doing down in Olympia as far as the legislature is concerned. So Resolve is a nonprofit that relies heavily on its volunteers to help increase support and awareness to the infertility community. But Resolve also fights to provide equal access to all those suffering infertility to family building options, whether that is medical treatment, adoption, or third-party reproduction. And so there are two levels of initiatives happening on the advocacy front. I mean, legislative advocacy. One is at the federal level. Every May, there is an advocacy day where People from 25-plus states go and talk to their lawmakers about federal initiatives to help veterans who struggle with infertility to make sure that the adoptive community has resources. But on the state level, I'm happy to announce that just last week, 
Resolve and the Family Building Coalition have designated Washington State as a priority to pass in the next legislative session mm-hmm. a state insurance mandate for IVF and fertility preservation coverage. So this would support those with infertility and cancer patients who need to preserve their eggs and sperm before they undergo chemo. If you are in a relationship, if you're a couple, if you're a single woman, if you're a single man, thinking about a family, what are some resources that you would recommend, Annie, that people should check out online that are reputable? Well, I highly recommend Resolve's website at resolve.org. Great website, by the way. For men, a lighthearted guide to male fertility is called don'tcookyourballs.com. That's a lot of fun and very informative. Pathtoparenthood.org is also a great resource, and I believe Dr. Walsh has a couple. You know, and, and I always like to drive patients to sort of vetted medical societies, and one of the best would be reproductivefacts.org. And that's from the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, which is the largest international organization of fertility providers that come together uh, they they do the research, they put together the information, and they present it. And, and when you go to that site, you'll find an immense resource of various different evaluations, treatments, statistics. Knowledge is power. That's right. Uh, and advocacy is terribly, terribly important. And you're doing a tremendous job down in Olympia and, and with Resolve on a national level. You have a very informative website as well. It's Annie Quo, that's A-N-N-I-E, Quo, like status quo with a K, dot O-R-G. And a good number of the segments under media and writing are fertility related. So welcome people to come in and look around. It's important to find out the facts and then take some action. Yes, we hope that people are empowered by knowledge and inspired to act. That's part of Resolve's mission. Our special guest this month, Annie Quo, founder of the Seattle-based chapter of Resolve, and again, the National Infertility Association's website, resolve.org. She is an ambassador, an activist, and a tireless advocate for change. I wish you well as you continue on this path. Thank you. Tom, always good to see you. Neil, it's good to see you. Join us again next month. Uh, Men's Health Monthly airs on the last Tuesday of every month on Sports Radio 950 KJR and on KZOK, Seattle's classic rock station. That's the last Sunday of every month at 6.30 a.m. For our special guest, Annie Quo and Dr. Tom Walsh, director of the UW Men's Health Center, I'm Neil Scott wishing you good health and good sense in matters dealing with men's health. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Men's Health Monthly with Dr. Tom Walsh, Associate Professor of Urology at the University of Washington and Director of the UW Men's Health Center, and your host, Neil Scott.